Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, Becca Babcock, author of One Who Has Been Here Before. There's one concept from physics that every researcher in social sciences and every journalist should understand. It's called the observer effect. With apologies to physicists listening, an oversimplified definition is this. If you interact with someone to learn about them, you effect change in the person you're trying to observe. When Emma Weaver arrives in Nova Scotia to do research for her MA thesis, her goal is to track down members of the notorious Goggin family. She wants to discover what became of them after the province raided their backwoods compound in the early 1990s, charging most of the adults with a variety of criminal offenses and placing the children in foster care. But what will happen when the observer meets the observed? In her novel, One Who Has Been Here Before, Becca Babcock takes us along with Emma as her research leads her down emotional paths she never anticipated. Becca, welcome to Book Me. Thank you very much for having me. How much of the Goggin family is inspired by the real-life roundup of the Goller clan of the Annapolis Valley back in the 1980s? Well, uh, I'd say that my book is inspired more by my reaction to learning about the Goller family. Um, I've been uh, living in Nova Scotia for 15, 15 and a half years now. And uh, when I first moved here, people would tell me these stories about the Goller family as though it was a a sort of ghost story, as as though these people were more mythical than real. And I I was curious and I started learning about them. And I, I was appalled by my own reaction. I was appalled by the way these people who are real people and who live through you know really horrific circumstances and the way that that they're sort of talked about now in a a sort of legendary way i was inspired not so much by by their own stories and what they went through but by my own shame at my um reaction to them as though they're not real people at my initial lack of empathy so uh, this uh this book is in many ways an indictment of me and my reaction to them Well, there have been isolated families like this in many parts of rural North America, and I guess while they've had minimal contact with nearby communities, their more civilized neighbors, so to speak, do turn them into boogeymen. Why is that? I mean, I think it has something to do with with something that's really deep in our in our own natures, our, our desire to band together, you know, for safety. I, I think it's something sort of primal within us to to identify, you know, our our, our people, um, and to identify outsiders. And I think that because we have these survival instincts, because we have these instincts to form a society that we, we're just suspicious of, of people who choose not to, to join us, to, to participate in, in our social rules and our taboos. And I guess we also get to uh, project anything that's bad in us onto them. Absolutely. It's, it's easy, right? If they're living apart from us, if they're choosing not to follow our social rules, it's easy to project the darkness that we see in ourselves onto them as others. Well, let's talk about Emma, your protagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. She seems to be ambivalent about what she's doing. She, you know, she has very <laughs> supportive professors for her thesis work on the Goggins, mm-hmm. but she feels she's an outsider in grad school. And, and then, despite being driven to learn everything about the Goggins for her project, she's more comfortable in the archives uh, than in trying to find family members to interview. How hard is it to move forward 
in relationships or in life for someone as conflicted as that? I, I, I think it would be incredibly hard. Um, I think that Emma is the type of person who is actually, you know, very happy um, in these times right now, who is happy to be working from home, who is happy to be able to experience life um, vicariously. I, I think she's interested in the world and she's interested in life, but she becomes very nervous when she feels the gaze turned around at her, when she is aware of, of people watching her and watching for a reaction. Um, so, you know, she she's a curious person and she wants to reach out, um, but she's terrified about what happens when, when people see her reaching out. And whenever she does interact with people, uh, you know, whether it's the fellow grad students or a local archivist trying to help mm-hmm. her, she just can't help sabotaging things by making a, a flippant or even a vulgar remark. Why does she have this reflex? I think that it's it's an overcompensation. I, I think that she sees herself as being too tentative, as being too reluctant to engage in the world. And so when she finally forces herself to do it, she just overreaches. She has a, a best friend in childhood who is this incredibly confident young woman. And this young woman, Elaine, is a model for her in a lot of ways. But where Emma sees confidence, um, she projects a sort of brass flippant, I guess. Bravado or something. Yeah, bravado, that's exactly it, yeah. Oh, Emma has read items uh, by a a local journalist who is now deceased, who reported on the Goggin saga back in the day, and she does manage to connect with the journalist's husband, Jack, and he plays a kind of pivotal role in the novel. Tell us about that. Yeah, the character of Jack was inspired by a, a local artist whom I met. Um, he's an artist and he's a sculptor who who does live in that area of Nova Scotia. And uh, he does teach in town. I, I'm not going to, to say who he is, lest I should ever embarrass him. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he's um, not only a, a brilliant artist, but just a lovely soul. Um, I met him briefly. Um, I worked with some friends of mine to do a, a documentary short about this fellow. And um, he's just one of those lovely humans that uh, I think the world needs more of. And so when I I wanted to give one of my other characters, Heather, a sort of surrogate family member, um, I thought of him and and I thought that he would be the kind of person who who would be kind uh, Mm -hmm. to a kid in foster care who needed um, some gentleness in her life. And thanks to Jack, Emma, the observer, gets to meet Heather, uh, one of the Goggin children placed in foster care, uh, who is now married with two children. And Heather, understandably, is wary about talking to this grad student from away, and Emma, for her part, wondering what version of herself would please Heather more. This is really quite a dance you've set up between the observer and the observed. Yeah, um, I, uh, whenever I'm feeling um, overwhelmed, I tend to reread some of my favorite books, and those are often um, Jane Austen's novels. And I know that Jane Austen's most popular characters are, are the sort of proto-feminists, the very confident, outspoken, you know, the Elizabeth Bennets and the Emma Woodhouses. And me, my favorite Jane Austen character was always Fanny Price, um, the observer, who just wants to be there quietly watching and knowing and not participating. I think for me, creating um, this sort of budding relationship between these two women, between Emma and Heather, 
um, is is sort of thinking through the kinds of characters that we are attracted to in fiction, in movies, TV shows. The, the, the kinds of characters that we tend to be attracted to tend to be the Heathers. They are, you know, smart, they're confident, they're outspoken, they see through the lies, um, and, you know, that's a really admirable character. But I think that, I guess, a, a contemporary feminist sensibility has made the quieter characters, the observers, um, a little bit out of fashion. You know, they, they don't really, they don't fit into our contemporary tastes. So I, I guess I just kind of wanted to, to put those two kinds of characters into conversation and to see what kind of friendship or relationship develops between them. And it is a fascinating relationship. Was it partly your intention to illustrate how little we know about the people we might read about in news stories, such as when you heard about the Goalers? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think culturally, we're, we're living in a really interesting time. Um, right up until, I mean, now in a lot of ways, and up until really recently, it was very easy to punch down, to really locate those people who, who might appear in news stories, who might be more vulnerable for a variety of reasons to finding themselves in situations in which, for instance, they are criminalized or they are at risk of, of becoming victims of crime and to, um, to make fun of them, to, <laughs> you know, to be unkind to people who are already experiencing tremendous difficulties and whose life situations make them vulnerable to those kinds of things. And again, this is, you know, this is an impulse that that I've had in the past. It's easy to make fun of um, white trash, to, to put it very bluntly. And I, I think that we are coming to a reckoning. We're coming to a place where we realize that that kind of um, unkindness, that kind of punching down is not tolerable. Uh, again, I, I think this kind of exploration is, is sort of a reckoning for me anyway. And having read the novel, it certainly underlines the importance of having a, a greater and deeper empathy in general. I hope so. I, I feel like writing this novel is part of my journey to become a more empathetic person. And so, yeah, I, I hope that's what uh, readers take away from it. <laughs> and, and while you describe your character's thoughts with great precision, uh, you occasionally drop in a very evocative description of nature such as when Emma takes Heather out to the ruins of the Goggin compound in the woods. What place does nature play in your writing? It's easy to love nature because nature can never love you back. You know, to, to go out into the woods and to appreciate um, the vegetation and the wildlife there, it's nothing like being a gardener. Um, you can appreciate the beauty of trees in a forest or pitcher plants that grow in, in a bog. Um, you can appreciate them because they, they have nothing to do with you. You never have to worry about whether or not they're going to love you back because they never will. Being a gardener is, is like being in a relationship. You have to put care into what you do and you have to nurture the plants. And, and, and if you make a mistake, you know, you, you risk doing damage. I think that Emma in particular is the kind of person who observes um, the world around her, who appreciates the world around her, because it's easy for her to love that world because she doesn't have to worry about it turning its gaze on her, because it doesn't. It doesn't care about her. So it's something that she can love without too much risk. Well, Becca, thank you very much for telling us about uh, the characters in your novel. Oh, thank you very much for talking to me about them. Becca Babcock is the author of One Who Has Been Here Before. It's published by Nimbus.
We have dozens of conversations for you with people who create books in Atlantic Canada, authors, illustrators, editors, and designers, all on bookmepodcast.ca. Tell your fellow readers. If you'd like to comment on a podcast, like today's with Becca Babcock, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. On Instagram, we post an alert every time there's a new interview at Book Me Podcast. In the Lunenburg County area, tune in to hear one of our interviews every evening on the nonprofit radio station CHLU 93.7 FM just before sign-off around 9 o'clock. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. Laura Hines posts all the podcasts and social media, and she hopes that when you click to listen, you can say you're one who has been here before. I'm Costas Halavrezos now. Let's go read. Mm-hmm.